Hello guys, before we get into enjoying this episode of Caged In Podcast, where me and Liam H. Dempsey of Spotlight Podcast will be talking about Bangkok Dangerous, just need to have a little visit over to my mate Thomas underscore W underscore Hunter on Twitter to have a little look at the cosmic way of words merge together to let us know a little nugget of information about this film we're about to watch. And this week for Bangkok Dangerous, he has delivered Cage, with a K. He's using the letters that he has given. Obviously, you can't always get a C, so sometimes you've got to spell Cage with a K. I'm not going to tarnish the man for doing so. I reward him, if anything. So, Cage, a knob on drugs. So, I have seen this film, and um, I think he was. Because he wouldn't have phoned in this awful, terrible performance if he wasn't on drugs. That might be the only explanation for why this film is the way it is. So just sit back, relax, and just enjoy it. Me and Liam trying to figure out why the hell this film was made. Because it was a remake of a 1999 film by the same directors, which seems to be a lot better why have they tarnished their own name? And why has Cage just seemed to want his career to freefall into utter shit and chaos? Well, let's find out. Okay, see ya. Bye. Hello, and here we are on what looks like spring. It feels like a spring day, and I am joined by uh, Liam from Spotlight Podcast to have a little look at 2008's Bangkok Dangerous. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, There's a little bit of preface to this film. I knew nothing about it and even mentioned it to my girlfriend earlier today. She was like, I didn't even know that film existed. Like, when did that come out? It sounds like, like a porn film. Bangkok Dangerous. 100%. And not only that, like, uh, <laughs> I started thinking, like, when I like saw the title, I was like, could that work with any other city name? Like, <laughs> I'm originally from Crawley. I was like, Crawley Dangerous. Like, it just doesn't like... I think Bangkok is the only city in the world. Dangerous. Yeah, I don't know, like... <laughs> It sounds like it sounds like just like an abridged, I don't know, headline on the paper. It's like Wolverhampton, dangerous. Like maybe with like some like ellipsis or like some punctuation in it, it could it could it could it could describe a town. But anywhere else, I don't think London dangerous doesn't. I don't know. I don't know if they wanted to do like a kind of um, what is it, Olympus has fallen style. Like <laughs> Bangkok would have been the first one. Then it would have been like whole dangerous do you know what I mean depending on the budget for the second one yeah 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 like um yeah it doesn't really it's, it's a really really odd title I mean it'd be 
very, very odd if it's not even set in Bangkok because we don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, if it, if we watch this film and it's set in Detroit, uh, it's it's gonna be odd. I hope. I hope. I hope it is, and I hope Cage took this film because he saw the title and it was like, like first first line of script opens Bangkok, and it's like, yep, that's what I'm into. I fancy a little holiday. Let's get over there. What's the budget like? Well, I did watch the trailer for this film. Uh, I won't reveal too much of the trailer because I know you like to keep things kind of like blank before you go in. But at the very opening of the trailer, it comes up with a little subtitle to say Prague. As in, you're in Prague. And I was like, wait a minute, the film's called Bangkok. Don't you say, uh, at the moment, I'm not even sure if it is set in Bangkok. Obviously, after watching the film, I, w- I always do like a little bit of like digging deeper quickly, like having a look on like, IMDb right. and stuff like that, just to see, like, because you always find, there you find some gold on like the trivia and stuff like that. And it yeah, probably yeah. will turn out that this was filmed in like. Vancouver or something like yeah or like, or like or like yeah the former Yugoslav it's something crazy and it's gonna be it's gonna be a joy to have you, I've got to ask you had you ever seen this film before I haven't seen this film before um, I've got to say I do remember it coming out um, I remember seeing the poster is quite um, I wouldn't say iconic, uh, but it's it's a memorable poster, I think, for the way Cage looks in it. So I actually recently saw an article of um, you know like those collections of like here's fifteen movie posters with like uh, graphic design errors. Oh, okay. And this is one of them. Right. Uh, I think it's something to do with like he's holding a gun, but like. The, the kind of way that he's holding it or something just doesn't do, it doesn't work out I'll like I'll obviously post it when this yeah, episode yeah, comes yeah, out yeah, and yeah. I'll I'll show you in the interim like before. well I think that's why he's an odd looking he looks odd in the poster definitely that's why it's stuck in my mind yeah yeah and it's very blue if I remember very like, yes. blue like shit flames in the background yeah, maybe yeah. similar <laughs> to the poster of Next which again is fucking trash and if posters are anything to go by I don't think we're in for a good time. You're still sore over next, aren't you? You're still sore, I mean, to watch that film. Oh, I am fucking... Yeah, yeah. And I have watched National Treasure in between as well, National Treasure 2, which I personally feel is a delight of a film. <laughs> a delight? Put that on the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know. I feel like this is... I'm scared that I'm in, like, the deep shit of Nicolas uh, Cage's you, career. No, I think you are, definitely. Uh, I mean... I think you've got a long, hard road ahead because um, you're doing this in chronological order. And I think you are, you've now... I kind of, Next, I, I kind of think, represents the start of the total paycheck era of Cage. I don't get me wrong. I think as soon as he kind of became an action star in the mid-90s, I think we started leaning towards that. But I kind of think Next is the film where you go, like, oh, he doesn't give a shit anymore. He really doesn't. So I think you are going to get some real fucking trash. I think now, between now and when you finish this journey, um, if you haven't killed yourself by then, <laughs> I think you are going to... The, the things, the, the diamonds in the rough are going to be the, the more rare kind of like things. Like I reckon so, going through between like the absolute pieces of shit. Well, like the thing is, like looking at like the stuff that is coming out like this year... 
I have got like a light at the end of the tunnel because like there is there is mum and dad which looks like batshit crazy. Cage getting to be like is like utmost cagiest that he yeah, can yeah, be like yeah. i've seen all like the posters and that looks great i love brian taylor yeah. um and mandy as well which uh That's is coming out later this summer which did amazingly at sundance so yeah. like i feel like all of it might be worth it do you know what i mean he kind of he might be having a re- renaissance like and like cage yeah 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 <laughs> And I just, I'm just hoping somebody out there, like one of the, like the big directors or like someone who's like up and coming, who's going to do like some real, it's got like a diamond in their back pocket is going to be like, you know what? We're going to fucking give him a chance, put him in something that's going to be Oscar worthy. That's what I want to see. I want to see a big redemption story for my give boy, Nicholas Cage. Cage. A chance. Exactly. Well, this is what I was going to say. I mean, the thing is, it's interesting to come on uh, this podcast because... I think I've often found myself uh, in years prior to be a bit of an apologist for Nicolas Cage in the sense of, for a long time, whenever people would sag him off, I would say, you've got to remember, there was a time where Cage was a really respected actor, leaving Las Vegas, that's a brilliant film, and he is brilliant in it, and there's quite a few other movies prior to that as well, where his performances are very respected, where he's in interesting indie films, Raising Arizona, stuff like that. And I would say even his early action work, something like Face Off, I think is an action masterpiece and John Woo's best American film. Um, but as time has gone on, I've found it harder to be an apologist for Cage. Because as we get further away from those hits of yesteryear, I mean, Leaving Las Vegas is now almost 25 years ago? Um, 94, is it? 96. 96, okay. Well, it's still over two decades ago. <laughs> I feel it's it's getting too far away now. And I feel something that like should be like expunged like after a while is the fact that like, a lot of his DVD cases nowadays still have... Oscar winner Nicolas Cage <laughs> and it feels like that is like the marketing budget of the film is just to put the like terrible Times New Roman font on the top just saying Nicolas Cage Oscar winner and they think that this dirge that is just going straight to DVD <laughs> will somehow people will like do you know what I mean it feels like it should yeah, be a timeline yeah, yeah. this should be after you think there should be a moratorium on Actors who once won Academy Awards, who have now sunk into making trash, should be allowed to still use that. Something. Should not be allowed to yeah, use yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shouldn't be allowed to use that after a certain amount of time if you're just <sighs> making piles of shit forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, otherwise, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, it should be a statute of limitations on it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, like, like yeah. he's it's too far. Away. Twenty years done. The like, I think I think you're possibly right about that. I think definitely if they kind of almost. Perhaps Oscar should take the Academy Award back. Or like, yeah, like a bronze one. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to earn it back. Like, yeah, kind of yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. You've, you've, you've really let the side down here. Like, it gets to a less and less precious metal each time. Before, <laughs> like, before you know it, you've got a wooden one carved by a blind man with yeah. no hands. So, let's get to it and get raging with Cage. Oh, I just want to ask you about this. Yeah. Uh listen to your podcast quite a lot. I've always noticed that you say Raging with Cage. And it struck me, being that the title of the podcast is Caged In, 
surely it would rhyme more to say raging with a cage then. <laughs> yeah, but um, I didn't have, uh, I, did, I, I don't know, I just, I oh, fucking sprung one on me here. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, because I want to get raging with Cage himself. Not to be not to be raging with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the one you're angry at for making you watch these films. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like it made sense at one point in my mind, and I'm too deep into the shit now to go back on it, and I can't really change it. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna say before we sit down, Torch Bangkok Dangerous, um, just for people who are listening, have no idea who I am. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, as Petra said. Uh, I'm Liam, I do a podcast called Spotlight, so it's like Spotlight, but with Spock from Star Trek. Um, basically, the idea is we kind of look at Star Trek from a non-Trekkie perspective, being that me and my co-host Matt and Paul weren't big Star Trek fans or anything before we started the podcast. Thought it'd be an interesting idea to look at something that's got a really hardcore fan base from an kind of outsider perspective. Um, been going for... About a year and a half now. Nice. And uh, yeah, absolutely love it. We're kind of a monthly podcast where we do lots of like bonus episodes and stuff. Uh, it's, it's great fun. So if you're into Star Trek or you're looking to get into it, definitely give us a listen. Would you say, I've got a, like, I really want to ask this question. Are, are you, have you become a fan since doing the podcast? I would say I kind of have, yeah. Um, because. We started with the movies, weirdly, because all three of us have kind of like film degrees and we were more film buffs than we were Star Trek buffs. So we were like, let's do the films. And then we were like, oh, and also if we get bored after 13, we can just stop. Um, but actually seeing all the movies back to back and in order, I was like, oh, okay, I'm appreciating this. And now I'm interested to go back to the TV series and watch it. Now we're gradually watching through the uh, TV shows what we're kind of doing uh, to give us a starting point because there's a lot to take on because combined you're talking about something like 30 plus seasons of television all the different TV shows um, so we're doing these episodes at the moment where we get a guest on who's like a big Star Trek fan and they basically try and sell us one of the TV shows so like Next Generation Voyager and stuff they pick an episode for us to watch that they think will convince us to watch on and watch more of it and that's kind of what we're doing at the moment. And I've got to say, I'm really, really enjoying the experience. And now I'm actually finding myself going, yeah, I want to see more of all these TV shows. So I'm gradually getting buried under the weight of all these extra seasons of Star Trek I've now got to watch or watch a lot of episodes of. Um, but it's, it's fun, man. I'm, I'm really enjoying the experience. So, yeah, I, I think so, I sort of have become a bit of a fan. Amazing, because I feel almost a little affinity for you guys because like, I wasn't the biggest Nicolas Cage fan when I started right, this. Okay. I kind of, like... Picked him out of the air, possibly more for the like sheer volume and the just idea that he's kind of let his career you go. It would be fun to do. I thought it'd be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be funny, and I thought like the humour would possibly come from a man yes. suffering through, like someone who at one point was great and has maybe like yeah, yeah just let his career go buck wild off the rails. But, like, I have grown to love not just his films, but him as a man. I genuinely feel, like, concerned for him. And, like, <laughs> oh, what, was his, what was his mental state whilst going through this? Like, how is he doing? Like, I see articles, like, that have come out recently about how he blew his, like, millions and stuff like that. And I genuinely, like, almost, like, shed a tear for him and, like, care for him. Like, oh, oh come oh, on. Like, why he's doing all these films. Well, yeah, like... 
Yeah, like, well, that's what they say, but, like, because at one point he was, like, something ridiculous, like, hundreds of millions, like, wealth, and now they reckon, estimate it, it's still a lot of money, but 25 million is all he's got left. And, like, he had a lot of problems with the, uh, I think it's the IRS. IRS. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, that's usually what it is. There's some crazy stuff, though. There is... um Stuff like he owned a skeleton, he owned a like a skull from a dinosaur, and then it turned out that that skull had been stolen by the person he'd bought it off, and had to be returned to like the Mongolian government. You sure this wasn't the plot for National Treasure Three? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was, and I have I have penned my own version of what that script would look like, and it would be a meta masterpiece. <laughs> I'm trying to pitch it to Ka- Charlie Kaufman as we speak. But on that note, let's get raging with a caged in. This one's for you, Liam. Bangkok Dangerous. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. There's a lot of uh, lot, lot to be said and there is a lot of questions about this film. First reactions from you, Liam. What a- well, I mean, it was, it was pretty insufferable, wasn't it? Uh, dangerous for anyone to watch, uh, maybe. Yeah, I did not know as well until doing a little bit of reading after watching this. That this is a remake yes. of a 1999, um, actually directed by the same brother directors who directed this. Same people. They're twin brothers, the Pang brothers. Um, they actually lived in Bangkok as well. Uh, they're from Hong Kong originally. Um, but that's presumably why the original film was set in Bangkok, because that's where they were living at the time. No reason for the remake to be set in Bangkok. No, it but, could. But the original—that's that. That would be why that was. And one, one, one thing I need to say about like about it is, this is what nine years after that, and you would have thought they would have had a few more films under their belt. I thought this was a directorial debut by someone because it is shot <laughs> like a piece of shit. I mean, it's, it's proper straight-to-video kind of look, isn't it? Oh, very much so. 100%. So, like, should we get into what, like, what the plot is of this yeah, film? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, as, as as we said about the trailer, it opens in Prague, and we kind of get Nick Cage, his character Joe, I believe Joe, his name, yeah. and he's, um, he's telling us, he's a hitman, he's a chiselled gruff, and this is his last job, he's going to Bangkok for four hits, Bang, 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 and out. Yeah. Why? Why is he out, though? Because in, in the film, I I could not see any indication given to us as to why he has chosen to leave the hitman life. Literally, what happens is he's at, I think it's an airport. He looks at a crying ginger kid for about five seconds. <laughs> and, like, there's this really annoying crying ginger. literally just screaming... And he kind of looks at it, and I was like, oh, is he going to murder the ginger king? It's so great. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, sometimes it's time to quit. And, and it, you seem to be being asked to formulate that he's looked at this crying child, and something to do with this crying child has made him go, that's it, got to leave the hitman life behind now. But at the same time, he's telling us these four rules that he has, yes. which are... Don't ask questions. Don't take interest in people out of work. 
leave no trace and know when to get out. Like, they're a lot more drawn out in the film as well. He, like, kind of has, like... That's what they needed. Real snappy, bang, 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 bang. Here are the rules. But it's kind of like, it'll be like, don't ask questions about the job, about this. But it's, we don't need all that extra guff with it. It's just keep those, like, rules. Well, I don't know. I, I think it needed something added on socials because what it should have been is, number four, know when to get out. And when to get out is when you see a crying ginger kid at the airport. <laughs> That's the time. But the thing is, like the my my biggest bugbear with this film is the fact that it makes a big point of letting us know these rules at the beginning, yeah. and then his character throughout the film, for no apparent reason, just ignores all of his own fucking rules, which seem to be a, like as soon as he gets to Bangkok to do this job, he's bef- like in a matter of like 24 hours has befriended the guy who's supposed to be like his kind of runner and he's taken him on as some kind of like Mr. Miyagi, like protege. <laughs> yeah, like, and yeah, kind of, they, there's like these montages that are, look like they're straight out of the karate kid yeah. of like him in the garden or like, yeah, like doing all this like montage, getting ready for like some big fight and stuff like that. He's fallen in love with a lady who works at a pharmacy, a deaf mute lady, like which is a subplot. Which this is something we should mention that in the original film, it was Cage's character who is deaf and mute. And apparently when they, they brought it over to Hollywood, and cast a big name actor, it was a case of, oh, we can't have him being deaf and mute because it's Nicolas Cage. And so they flipped it to her to keep that aspect in there, but they couldn't have Cage doing it. But it makes no... For one, the relationship itself has no real bearing on the story whatsoever. Because no real bearing on reality. <laughs> and has, like... She's not then used at any point as some kind of leverage with the villains, it is the lackey, uh, Kong's, mm. like, love interest, who is then used as leverage. Yeah, oh, what, is that right? Yeah. Oh, you know what? This is a case of me being extremely racist, um, because <laughs> I think I've, I've missed out on the fact um, that it was his girlfriend who was with him kidnapped at the end and not the deaf mute. Um, I think I've, uh, and also just to show like just how much attention this film is capable of holding as well. well and and the character development is like <laughs> yeah. there is next. There's none. There's none. That like again, we don't know why Joe is the way he is. Like what has happened in the past to make him think this is the last job. Yeah. Obviously, apart from this crying child at the airport, yeah. what do you need? What do you need? and like. What what in him? It's like he's all of a sudden, like, he must have killed hundreds, maybe even thousands of people yeah. throughout his career. And on his last job, he has developed a conscience all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, I know we talk about him going against his own rules, but, you know, potentially I'm okay with that because, you know, that that's all films, isn't it? Whenever you get any character like this, I mean, immediately I thought of Heat with uh, Robert De Niro, where you know, famously he says he's kind of you know ruled is ne- never kind of have anything that you can't leave in like thirty seconds if you have to, because um, he's a bank robber and everything like that. And he of course breaks that rule in the film, and that's fine because in Michael Mann's Heat, 
it's incredibly well developed and well characterised. Whereas here, there's no real reason for him to break those rules. I'm fine with him breaking them if we believe he would, but why does he break them for this? I mean, he says here, when he, you know, first, before at the beginning, we see him kill uh, a guy who kind of brings him some money and everything like that, because he says, you know, you can't have any loose ends. And he's about to do the same with, you know, his little sidekick who he meets in this film. Um, and then he decides, something stops him from doing it. He decides not to. Instead, he starts teaching him. And he says, somehow, when I look into his eyes, I see myself. Do you? Why? <laughs> there, there's, no, there's nothing about this kid that, you know, we think is like you. And like one thing I took away from the the, the the only bit of light relief for me about this film is that it's a great tool for learning uh, Thai swear words. So I now I can now go back and find out how to call someone not just both a duck fucker, but also tell them to fuck their mother, which is something if I'm ever going to Thailand. I'm not sure if I will need to know, but it's good to know. I've got it there in my back pocket, just in case. Well, you've successfully learned more Thai than Nicolas Cage does in this film. Because the whole thing is, he, he clearly can't speak the language in this. And yet, I mean, the whole, again, the whole relationship with the guy. I mean, this is just a thing about Hollywood movies that fucks me off, to be honest. In the sense of immediately he meets this deaf mute girl in the pharmacy, and within two seconds he's pretty much like, "Can I take you to dinner?" Why? You don't. You don't know it. You can't speak her language. Even if you could, she's deaf and mute. Like, <laughs> just like, what is it? Apart from the fact that she's pretty, like, what is it that's led you to be like, "Well, I've got to take you out for a meal"? And to be honest, I don't think they even get across very well that she's deaf and mute straight away because of the fact that he clearly can't speak the language. The way the scene is played when they first meet kind of comes across just as if they can't speak each other's language rather than, oh, she's also deaf and Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't become important until later. And it's the thing as well that he, like, through this, just, like, supposed to be this badass assassin as well, just looks like an awkward 45-year-old man on holiday. <laughs> like, when he's not killing people, he's kind of dressed really awkwardly in, like, Hawaiian shirts and linen trousers. Like, don't get me started on the fucking hair. That is that... I don't know what was going on. Like, the film... This be- is a bad hair day for Cage, isn't it? The film before this was... Na- I'm not sure when, like, which way they were shot, because I know, like, next fucking... Terrible hair, and this it's looks floppy hair and necks as well, isn't it? Yeah, but it's 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 the it's it's the mixture of floppy hair, but receding like a motherfucker. Yes. And I can say that as a man whose hair is receding, <laughs> but has decided to go the Bruce Willis route and just shave it all off <laughs> instead of the Nick Cage like I'm gonna fool people by growing it out. But he looks he he just looks awkward as well. Even when he's on the date with her, he just looks like I don't know. Like, one, I don't buy into that relationship. One bit. Like, she's a young, attractive woman. And as I said, he looks like someone's creepy dad. Just like... He looks like the type of guy when you go... Those guys who go to Thailand to look for a Thai bride. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's who you think of. You think of Nick Cage with that haircut. Well, I think that's kind of the fantasy they're instilling here, to be honest, for the kind of people who go and watch this film. And like said, there's no build-up there, right? Shit, he turns up at a pharmacy with a cut on his arm. That's about it. And suddenly she's like, oh, wow. Smitten. <laughs> Sweep me away from here, Nicolas Cage. Like, yeah. And then when they, as their relationship progresses, like two people are assassinated in front of them, aren't they? And she gets blood on her. Yeah. And like, instead of trying to explain or anything, he just decides to follow her around on his motorbike looking like an absolute creep. He's like outside her window. He's just like driving past the pharmacy. Like, I just don't. Well, even that scene where she finds out is, is really oddly played, isn't it? And really oddly done. There's two guys coming out of nowhere. Because obviously the idea is meant to be she's deaf, so she can't hear the gunshots. And then there's some blood splatter on her and stuff like that. Uh, and like you say, I mean, it's just completely... She doesn't see any of it. So when she turns around, she just instantly... She seems to somehow be able to deduce that he is like a hitman and a killer... Just from seeing what's happening. She doesn't go, oh, were you attacked? What happened? Yeah. yeah. Explain. Like, it just really goes insane straight away. And their first date scene is fucking excruciating as well. I've got to say, there's this thing. It goes on forever. As with this thing, Nicolas Cage going, oh, the the food's too hot. Everything like that. And it just, it, it, it plays out over about five minutes. It's awful well i've written down in my notes like why so many date scenes and like what is the point of i like again what is the point of that subplot i don't get the like karate kid subplot at all and what annoys me is this could have been a decent nuts and bolts action film yeah and, like, there's elements of it that are, all i could keep thinking was like i know it came out a lot later but like all i think is I would so much prefer to be watching John Wick right now. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that's probably... If that's your level, I think that's going to happen during a lot of Nicolas Cage action films you're no, setting no. yourself up for. No, but I, I, mean, I mean, like, the premise of, like, this kind of grizzled assassin. Like, there's, um... I don't... He's just really awkward. Well, he's like, definitely grizzled. I mean, he, his neck... What's wrong with his neck? It looks emaciated. <laughs> I swear, it's like you said about... Uh, I was looking at him, and I was thinking, there's a scene where Cage is in a vest. And I was looking at his arms and stuff, and I was like, has he actually beefed up for this role? Or have they just oiled him up a lot? Because they clearly put loads of oil on his arms. Yeah, he's so <laughs> wet. He's so wet. There's, <laughs> there's a scene in Ghost Rider as well, which is like... Um, he's just got out of the shower, but it's like this glean wet oily look which they've replicated again in this and there's like a brilliant bit in that and the trivia of that that like even to this day is speculated that he was like CGI enhanced to look more buff so like it wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise if this happened on this as well right (laughs) um we were saying about the deaf mute uh, thing where they swapped it to the guard I've got to say you know I'd be interested in seeing the original film because I, and straight away, like you say, you describe this kind of nuts and bolts thriller, or what it, it, it actually it aspired to be nuts and bolts thriller, and it isn't even fucking that. Um, but uh, to me, instantly, the idea of him being deaf and mute is ten times more interesting than the character we've got. And number one, Nicolas Cage may as well have been mute in this film because he's fucking phoning his performance in like anything. 
you know, he's not even really speaking those lines, so may as well make him mute. But that just instantly makes the character more interesting, doesn't it? Well, and, and a guy who could play, like, so, like, physical in his, yeah. like, performances could do it amazingly yeah. well. Yeah. And, like, given the chance, but, like... The thing that confuses me as well is this film is actually made by his production company, Saturn Pictures, yeah. is actually Nick Cage's, like, company. So I imagine he would have had a lot, like, more input than just just having a bought-in, like, producer credit. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, because I think this is quite actually quite sad, if you think about it, because... You know, they said, oh, it was changed for marketing purposes and everything like that. But, you know, I don't really buy into that. It's not the same thing as famously uh, back when the Sylvester Sloan Judge Dredd was made. They had to have him take the helmet off, which if anyone uh, reads the comics, you'll know it is not something that happens to the comics. Judge Dredd always keeps his helmet on. Um, but they couldn't have him with his helmet on all the way through because Stallone was a huge star at the time. You've got to show the moneymaker, take it off. That's a very different thing from not speaking. As long as you can see the person's face. I don't, like, is anyone going to see Nicolas Cage films to hear the voice of Cage? Like, you know, like, oh, wait, wait, wait. what? He doesn't speak in the film. Oh, right, I am out. I don't think that would put anyone off. I feel like that would draw more people in. Yeah. It would be one of those, like, talking points off the film. Like, wow, it's going to be like... I would say one of the things, like, with Nick Cage, you, you go to see his films for the voice, is what the fuck is his voice going to be doing? Because, right, like, yeah, some of the yeah, accents yeah. he's pulled out in the past, God knows where the fuck they're from. Or he's going to be histrionic and crazy. But this is what I mean, the sense of it's his production company, so presumably he's calling some of the shots. And you would have think, as an actor, you know, if I'm thinking the position actor, I'm thinking, oh, acting challenge, that's what's going to be interesting oh I've never played someone deaf and mute before this could be a real challenge for me real great and you would have thought he would have pushed for that 100% because otherwise like this he's clearly phoning it in because the material is lacking at the end of the day and he's clearly not infused by it so surely make it a more interesting role for yourself and then and that makes me think that Cage does not give a flying fuck he really is just in it for the paycheck and he doesn't care about acting well one of the things like from doing the reading is finding out that a lot of this was shot like without well it looks a lot of the time that it's shot without the actors being in either the same room or especially like there is a scene on the boat chase where there is never a moment where you see the two boats in the same frame and it is always like cages separate and it's like did they need to do some reshoots and Cage had already moved on to the next project? Like it said, it says on IMDb, like a lot of like, cause his schedule was so tight and like a lot of it looks like he has just walked off of one film set onto this and gone, right. Yep. you got me for 20 minutes. Let's get this done. Like even when at the end he's shooting the guys like in the windows, you never see him shoot. You just see them falling out of windows, which makes me think like, a lot of it, and like there's 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 too much stuff of just the lackey going about town doing his bits and bobs, and it's like we haven't had enough to build up on that character. Literally, he's introduced, and then bang, here's him driving about Bangkok. Whereas like 
He's not the character you've introduced for ten, yeah. like twenty minutes. It's Cage. I don't care what this guy is up to. It's not. It's for, for my money. It's not his film. Well, but, but by the end, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, he is elevated very much to kind of you know almost side by side with Cage is just as important by the end of that film. But I almost feel cheated by that because Cage is like up front and centre on the poster. Yeah. Like, it's not like I would have a lot more, I don't know, goodwill towards Cage if this was him doing that, like, almost like, I want to shine light onto some, like, undiscovered, like, Thai talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like, if it was a, yeah, if it yeah, was yeah. A, a with Nicolas Cage film, right. like, right. as if, like, he took, like, the back seat, he yes. took the, I don't know, yeah, he took the kind of, Mr. Miyagi, yeah, he took the Mr. Miyagi role. It is up front and centre. It is this Thai actor's film, and then he's kind of there to show him the way. Yeah. But it's not. It's kind of wants to have its cake and eat it by having Cage up front and centre, but at the same time, if it is, like, filming schedules or whatever it is, to just, when they need to, push Cage out of the centre just so they can kind of, like... Or they just didn't get the shots. I'm just like this. I'm, my mind is just working here to try and figure out why the fuck a lot of this is like it is. Well, because Cage does make a lot of films, doesn't he? he? Like he's in a lot each year, isn't he? Like you know, in terms of and do you think he's just trying to pack in as much as possible um, to keep the optimum amount of cash flowing in, and therefore he's like, right, I can only do this many days on this one, this many days on this one. So, you know, he's not always available for all the shots and everything. Yeah, but obviously, like, it's his production company. <laughs> yeah. That, like, it's just but so amazing. Five, he's making that year probably his production company as well. Yeah, that's how I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, get your fingers out of them other pies. <laughs> just, just focus on one pie <laughs> at a time. On the one passion project, Bangkok Dangerous. That's the one that you need. Oh, um... Is there any scenes that really just like either got your goat or just like you really want to just fucking tell us all about? Of them, all of them. Like, I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest. It, like I said, it was a pretty insufferable film. Like about halfway through the movie, you actually turned to me and apologised for making me watch this film. And, you know, it, it only got worse. Um, yeah, and I, I'm fine with with watching it because I, I, I'm a ravenous film devourer. I enjoy <laughs> the idea of watching films and discussing them. But I mean, this was like horrendous, like really, really awful. I mean, I, I would go as far as saying this is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Oh, I'd like, and there's no redeeming factors. No, it's, it's not, it's not just story was bad. The way it's shot is bad. The editing in points. Oh, oh was, yeah. Awful. Some of the scene transitions, really odd choices they made. Early on, there was a, there was a screen wipe, which those should only be used in Star Wars. As yeah, for for, for pure nostalgia. But there is a scene in this film that genuinely looks like you can see the cut marks on like the like do you know what I mean where it has been edited because yeah. it is just literally plonked in, and it almost feels retcon because. It, it looks like it was picked up afterwards, gone, fuck, we haven't actually explained the fact that Nick Cage now has to kill this politician who is loved by the people. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. See, scenes that were particularly awful, yes. 
th- this scene where <laughs> out of nowhere, it's just after. I mean, I mean, it's very oddly placed as well. Not only does it seem like it was just plonked in in terms of the look of the edits, but it, in terms of totally, the plot, yeah. Because it, literally, what what we've just happened is we've had the first hit that Cage has taken his new little sidekick, uh, the Karate Kid, along with him on. And he's seen him kill uh, some people, and he looks a bit perturbed by that. And then suddenly it cuts this scene where it's them watching the TV. There's a politician, I think he's the local mayor, I think? Uh, and he's on there, and he's just speaking, and you know, we've never, I don't think we've seen this guy before in the film. Uh, suddenly he sees him on TV, uh, the kid turns around to him and says, oh, this man, he, he's a very good man, um, you know, he, he helps people, he, he stops the bad guys, he's like you, to Nicolas Cage, and I'm like, right, what's happened? I was like, has this guy's mind broken, as he kind of watched this and been so traumatised by seeing Cage blow bad guys away, that he's reconfigured it in his head to go, oh, he only, he is a hitman, but he only murders bad guys, and Cage looks at him as if he's going, what are you talking about? I murdered a five-year-old kid last week just because they paid me extra. Like, like yeah, I'd, I've got no rule about only killing bad guys. That wasn't one of the rules up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't get why he's painted out to be this kind of, like, Robin Hood-esque figure <laughs> where he is, like, just, like, the grim... He'll take anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, like, you... Pa- you pay me enough, I'll fucking kill you, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, his, his initial plan would have been yes, to kill him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, like, and he knows that because he literally, he literally went to kill him. From what, <laughs> from what we, what we imagine, could have been a day earlier because the time frame of this film, I have no idea how long this was set over. Well, because he's training the kid, isn't he? That but, could have been a month. You don't, <laughs> yeah, how, yeah. you don't know how long that's gone on for. It's, it's very hard to tell how long he's training him for. And it's kind of... It's also very weird because it doesn't quite make sense. Why is he training him? Like, we, we never really know exactly what Cage's skill set is, really. It's like, oh, he's a hitman, but also he seems to be like a martial arts master. Well, and, apparently in Win Chung, which is like... Yeah, uh, yeah. The famous uh, martial art that Ip Man did, if you've ever seen the Ip Man films. Yeah, well, yeah, I haven't seen the Ip Man films, but I'd like to. Fantastic, but like, um, there's... Better than this? Oh, 100%, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like some weird, uh, like, sim- like, symbology in this with uh, an elephant as well. Oh, God, the elephant scenes. <laughs> the elephant keeps coming back up all the way through. It's because only when he's got um, he's got a, a painting of like an elephant uh, on his wall, and the sidekick goes says something about oh you should hang him the other way. It's it's bad luck to have him that way. The trunk way. facing down. Yeah, it's bad like luck. That. And then he goes on this date, and while they're on the date, they come across an elephant, and there's again this really long, presumably symbolic scene where he's kind of stroking the elephant and stuff. And it's like him seeing the crying ginger kid earlier. It's like him seeing the elephant. He makes some kind of connection with the elephant. And he's like, oh, yeah. Got to give up the life of a hitman because I've struck this elephant. But, the, yeah, the, one of the things I thought when I saw that was, 
again, you wouldn't see John Wick doing this shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know, I know, I know, I know he befriends a dog, but that's a lot different than that's like fucking true. going to a petting zoo and that, touching okay. elephants. Well, I think John Wick Three is gonna. You're gonna eat your words because John Wick Three is gonna be him having established a relationship with an elephant, and then the elephant gets killed, oh. and that's gonna really step up the game. I hope. I hope it's like it's called like John Wick Three. Bangkok or a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Big trouble in little Bangkok. I was talking about potential alternate titles. Did you know that one of the um, working titles of this film was Big Hit in Bangkok? Oh, fucking hell. They changed that title thinking... What if this isn't a big hit? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna look like idiots then. They must have known. They, I'm not sure if this was test, if test screened or what. Like, I don't know. That's the thing. Films like this make me feel despair for the film industry entirely because how money is like thrown at stuff like this is just just out of this world, like crazy and like. It's just so disjointed. Like, there is one moment, like, the soundtrack, I thought, it sounds really familiar. And then all of a sudden, it would kind of have this, like, East Asian inflected, like, strings. And then it would kind of flip into, like, some drum and bass Euro dance that almost sounds like, do you remember the uh, anti-piracy advert? Like, the, you wouldn't steal a car. And it had that. It had that. And just this, like, really, like... I hate, like, kind of uh, what I consider, like, student film editing, where they kind of, like, do the classic. They do, like, the... I say classic. Why am I saying that? But they do, like... They do, like, a... um Everything's, like, sped up and stuff like that. And it's just kind of, like... We're past... Do you know what I mean? We're past this, guys. Like, we get it. Bangkok is vibrant and busy. Like, yes. you can you can show us that in a different way instead of just, like, a sped-up, like, long-exposure shots with the light, light trails and stuff like that. It's just... This film's insulting to the audience, I well, find. I've got to say, considering these directors actually come from Bangkok, um... I didn't think that this film had a great sense of place about Bangkok at all. Into apart from the the one scene with the kind of gondolas type thing, the boats that they're in, that was quite that was it's sort of a nice location at least to shoot that scene. But outside of that, I never really got a feel for the city we were in or anything. Well, the thing is as well, one of Cage's first lines when he is in Bangkok yeah. is like something along the lines of like Bangkok. It's dirty and dangerous. Yes. And it's like... It's Bangkok dangerous. Yeah. It's just... I just don't understand what the fuck is going... I got to a point and just stopped writing notes as well because the film just, to me, falls apart. Like... I mean, it falls apart almost immediately, I would say, in terms of... I mean, literally, like, like I say, I mean, it's an action film, right? And in an action movie, you think, even if it's a shitty, badly written film, usually if there's going to be a redeeming feature, that's going to be the action scenes. But that is not the case here. Like, I mean, all of the action is really poorly edited, really poorly choreographed, doesn't make any logical sense. And I know that in an action film, sometimes that's a hard ask anyway. 
But, you know, this really seems to take the piss. I mean, that moment where he's chasing the boat alongside on the motorbike and he leaps off it and it instantly explodes. Yeah, yeah, like, Literally, he leaps off it like two seconds before the wall and it instantly explodes upon impact. And it's not even a wall. It's a fence. Yeah, it's a it's, wooden yeah, fence. It's a wooden fence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just all really poorly done. Funnily enough, the final big shootout, um, which is notable because I don't know if you noticed, but this entire film is very much uh, shot in that blue filter style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, you know, there's quite a lot of films around the late 90s, noughties era, uh, which you can't all shot through that blue filter. For some reason, for about a decade, people thought that was really cool. Um, but the final shootout, it's red uh, instead. That's it, that, that turns red. But the thing is, in the trailer for this film, which I watched the other day, that scene, some shots from that scene are in there, but they haven't got that red filter on them. Um, so they're just kind of normal. And part of the final shootout is they shoot at each other through a load of plastic bottles of water. And I was like, that is the one thing that might have looked cool with kind of blue filter. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like with all the water shooting at each other. But in red, it just looks like dog shit. So I was like, that's the one bit that would have benefited from this, I just... <laughs> and there's a moment as well when Cage, like, runs... Like, he shot the guy and then he runs away and he kicks one of the water bottles into the camera and it's, you see you see for a split second the camera shake and, like, it is definitely... He has just, on set, fuck, this bottle is in my way, I need to exit frame, has kicked it, <laughs> it has hit the camera and he is gone. And it's this is one of many like moments. Like there is a moment as well where there is like a zoom and the camera goes out of focus. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, come on, guys! It's really, I mean, really poor, really poorly made. I mean, and the, the thing is, is because earlier you were sparing about money being thrown at films like this. I just, do you know what the budget was for this film? I've no idea. Well, um, do you want to take a guess? Do you want to take a guess at what it was? 20 million. 45 fucking million. 45 million to make this piece of shit. Like, I, I'm so, this does not in any way. I was like, was that all Cage's salary? Was that flying everyone out to Bangkok? I mean, I, I presume it was actually shot in Bangkok. Um, Apart from some moments where it was Cage <laughs> in a studio. in yeah, yeah. Or, or, or like the apartment he lives in. Uh, it, whilst he's in Bangkok. Yes, Definitely yes. looks like it's in the Hollywood Hills. Yes, 100%. 100%. There's <laughs> nothing about that film that you watch it and go, I literally, the whole way through, I was just going, what, why did this cost 45 million? What was it that happened in this film that cost 45 million? I mean, it boggles my fucking mind. I mean, this is the example I always use for this kind of thing. Have you seen The Raid 2? Yeah. Right, Raid 2, obviously an action masterpiece. Fantastic, right? That was made for four and a half million. And yet, some of the coolest, best-looking action sequences you've ever fucking seen. And I always use that as a comparison to be like, right, if you look at a Hollywood film, you know that the majority of that money has gone on stars, their trailers, bullshit like that. Because clearly, you can make a film for a very small budget spend everything on the, how it looks on the screen and come out a lot better. Because there's no way this needs 45 million. 
No. I I am absolutely gobsmacked by hearing <laughs> that news. Um I just can't I just can't really wrap my like I don't know, wrap my head around this film. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm like it gets to a moment as well where Cage like reiterates what the rules are, almost like he's he's it's enough is enough. Like he's got to adapt them now. I've got oh no, I've got too deep into it. I've like I fucked it up with this girl. Like I let I got I got involved too much with. I've broken one of my rules. Let me like reiterate them via voiceover to the audience because I'm gonna I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna now I'm gonna stick to them. And again, go straight back into breaking them. Like yeah, yeah. and it's like. He don't, like, he's given the opportunity. Yeah, he's given the opportunity to like take out his like sidekick. Like, it just I don't like. I don't get it, and it's like I just. He's like an alcoholic going to AA meetings, <laughs> but then going to the pub straight afterwards. Yeah, and like um, he's there's a moment as well when he's uh, given the choice to kill this politician, and it was a very like for me almost like distastefully done. Like the politicians, like um, the way he like come down the car looked very reminiscent to like the JFK, like, yeah, yeah, no, and it was yeah, like, yeah. and and like he is there, like Lee Harvey Oswalding up in a building. But before this, he says, "I've got two choices because a political assassination was never in like the contract, so I can either do it, I can either not do it and just get out of town, or I can do it and earn a lot of money." And then says. Anyone can kill a politician. The hardest part is getting away with it. Yes, yes. I think that is crime as a whole. Anyone can do anything. It is surely the getting away with it that is your job. Well, I think perhaps this is a bit of political commentary from the film. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm kind of, you know, giving it too much credit. Uh, but, you know, the current climate we're in, uh, yeah, surely anyone could kill a politician if they could get away with it. Uh, but, you know, then again, this was 2008, so, you know, we weren't quite in the terrible position we are now. Um, but, as I say, I think I'm giving it too much credit. Yeah, because um, <laughs> America at the time, surely, was living in a time of hope. With uh, It would have been... Let me think, was it, when did Obama come Yeah, that would have been... 2008? Yeah, that would have been the start of the right, Obama right, era. Right, 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 right. Well, perhaps. Whereas <laughs> Cage is like, this is the time. Maybe that really was a searing piece of political commentary in there. Because a lot of people were talking about the possibility of Barack getting assassinated by white, like, kind of, you know, a supremacist and stuff like that. Maybe Cage is a white supremacist. <laughs> We're building out an entire subplot of this movie that it didn't know was in there. Well, because it needs it. Because it gives you yeah, nothing. Yeah. It gives the audience nothing. No, in the... I mean, literally, there's no, no one's got any kind of character out there. No, you could have days of fun just coming up with, like, what like what he did in the past because or like what he's thinking at any moment you could just project whatever you want because as i said the film gives you nothing so you we could we could theorize here for ages going like in that moment he's thinking uh don't, like by a lot of the time his facial expressions in scenes just look like i wonder what's on craft services today yeah oh, like, 100% oh. i mean he is not in the headspace of the character at all 
mean, just something I did just think about is I kind of wonder why they even said it in Bangkok because the original film obviously is set in Bangkok, but that's because it was a film made in Bangkok. Um, and you're kind of like, actually, because one of the other um, alternate titles was A Time to Kill. So it's not like they were like, well, we've got this title, Bangkok Dangerous, it needs to be set in Bangkok. I was kind of like, really, is there any reason for this being set in Bangkok? Because obviously he's American now, so he's actually having to travel there. Everything, does the setting of Bangkok add anything to the film? Like, surely you could just set this anywhere planet Earth. Surely you could just be set in America and, you know, that'd be fine. Especially if they spent money going to Bangkok to shoot it. I, with 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 that, I feel like, again, it was an element of, we get a free holiday out of this. Right. <laughs> I definitely think it's either Cage thinking that, or he just wanted to work with the directors. Like, he kind of had, like, a perverse idea of, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to work with these, like, I don't know, I imagine... The iconic Pang Brothers. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 everybody has uh, one of, at least one of the Pang Brothers DVDs on their shelf. If you haven't, you've clearly got something wrong well, with your life. I do, the, the thing they're most famous for, funnily enough, is directing a film called The Eye. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, but it was, they did do an American remake of it. It was one of those kind of uh, Chinese horror movies that became big enough that they did an American remake with Jessica Alba um, about some girl having an eye transplant and then she can see ghosts or something. And that was quite a big hit and it had like a whole trilogy of films behind it. So I think that's their big draw. I think that'll be the thing that brought them to Hollywood, I think. Yeah. But, like, I'm thinking, like, because obviously it is him. Anyone anyone could have made this film, I yes. think. Like, it's not like, it's nothing about it that has, I don't know, like, I don't know much about, like, um, Hong Kong cinema or, like, Thai cinema, because obviously I imagine they would have, like, developed their, like, living in Bangkok at the time and stuff like that. They would have developed, like, I don't know, kind of got immersed in that kind of cinema, yeah. stuff like that. There's nothing about, but there's nothing about this film that necessarily I think like is different to like the way an American film is shot or anything no, like that. This is, you know, it comes across as one of the reasons you're shocked about it being a 45 million budget is it very much comes across like a straight to video action movie, like 100% in its execution, everything about it. This is something that you expect to find on the bottom shelf in Blockbuster that you've never heard of. And like, I'm I'm really <coughs> ashamed of myself that I have heard of this film yeah. and that I've actually watched it. Um, yeah. And like, there is something else that leaves a bit of taste in my mouth as well is the fact that um, the watch that he, uh, Nicolas Cage wears, like he actually has. It says here. Um, the watch worn by Nick Cage's character is endorsed by the actor and is a Ventura VTEC Sigma W25R1. So, it's almost like, it's kind of like that disgusting thing that he's, he has personally used this film to kind of like... It's a bit of product placement. Product placement that yeah. is just like... One, the watch is fucking gross. You can set your hits by it. <laughs> 
and like as some like it looked like to me something that would like not look out of place on the wrist of Captain Kirk. Right. Yeah, but it looks very like I don't know. I'm not much of a watchman, but it's this kind of big, bulky, like sci-fi looking. Like he should. Oh, yeah. And actually, it does play quite a big part in the film, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Because even they're using it to kind of he's using it to cut time kills and stuff like that. Like um, he uses it in the underwater sequence, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 to so see he, how long he's got before his breath runs so out. So there are scenes in that film which are designed to show off the features of that watch. And even, even, I think at least two of of three of the hits that he actually does in the that film the involve the watch, because there's one where he pulls up to the traffic lights to gun down the guys, and he kind of, for some, I don't, like, again, it doesn't really go into, like, his planning—that's sometimes like, especially with something like a hitman film. That's that's sometimes like more interesting than the hits themselves. Is kind of seeing the mechanics of how you set up something like that, almost in the way of like a heist film, like the kind yeah. of like seeing like how they're going to plan to do the like raid or whatever. In this, it's just oh, he 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 knows exactly where they're going to be at that time. Well, I mean. Like you say, I mean, it, it, it's completely tab A into slot B type plotting, isn't it? With, well, without even that, they're not even slotting together. They're kind of like, you know, he's half pushed it in, really. Yeah, ma- yeah, yeah. It's, it is a squ- it is a square peg in a round hole. It is just like, yeah. You yourself in your head to make sense of the whole film. A, cho- um, a choose your own adventure cage <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds interesting to me. I mean, th- there's so much kind of wrong with this film. I mean, just little things that I can't point out. The one scene, the one scene that I've pointed out was sort of interesting because of the location was still awful because of the terribly directed and edited action, but also just little things like that gondola scene. What is going on with the cowboy at? Like Nicholas Cage is wearing on his head. And the most poorly concealed silencer since Dirty Den got killed by a bunch of bats. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, the thing is with that outfit choice, it is very similar to the outfits you actually see Nick Cage wear in his real life. Oh, yeah. So no, it just, just it genuinely looks like he's just got, they've gone... The budget would have been 50 million if they would have had to got his own wardrobe. <laughs> you, you got 10 minutes, Nick. We got, a, we got a gondola set up outside Studio B. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I'm coming. Like, it looks, it just... That's what I mean. The character isn't isn't fleshed out. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that, assa- oh, no, there's no the, like I said. The, yeah, there's no character work at all. Assassins keep it keep it like cool. Keep it one outfit they wear all the time. Do you know what I mean? If it was like black suit, fucking wicked. But this again, he looks like a weird guy. A weird. He looks like a weird American tourist on holiday, not knowing what the fuck he's doing. Like. I've I've got a problem with cowboy hats anyway. I just think they look yeah. weird. And yeah, like, well, he certainly looks weird in one. He doesn't put it off. No. Um, I think we should probably talk about the ending, shouldn't we? Because I think the ending is is quite interesting. In and I don't mean interesting isn't good. Oh, it's not a head scratcher. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't leave you guessing. Um, I mean, that's it's an odd ending, isn't it? For this type of film. Yeah, just because, again, it kind of... 
it 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 doesn't feel like the film is like building towards that at no. all. It doesn't feel like it's kind of he's had this. I don't know. Like yeah, look, this this like let's say what happened. Yeah, the the ending. Well, Cage at the end of the film commits suicide, and it's sort of out of nowhere. He's gone to save his sidekick and the girl and everything like that. Blows away the bad guys. The head bad guy is in a car. He kind of shoots up the car. He goes after the head bad guy in the back seat. He realizes. Does he realize that he's been shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's been shot. So he probably thinks, "Oh, maybe I'm on my way out anyway." Or suddenly, there's loads of police there. So he thinks there's no way out, and he puts the gun to his head and pushes his head next to the bad guy's head and shoots them both. Uh, using the one bullet he has left because he's only got one bullet left. Now, I mean, this is this is so so weird because it doesn't seem to align with the kind of film it is at all. Because it's a sort of shocking ending in a way, which kind of comes across more. I'd be interested to see how the uh, original ends. One of the things that, like, just you explain that makes me think. I think that this is one of the elements they thought we've got to keep from the original, possibly. Yes. And maybe, like, the, I, I can only guess that the original tonally is, like, keeps a steady tone throughout the yeah. film and would seem more clever because, obviously, it is a man who is deaf and mute mm. and almost, like, can't even, like, can't even say what has happened. Mm by the end of it yeah. so it is almost like it is it is the only way it's the only way out it's the only way i'm going to take out this bad guy because obviously he'll probably have a lot of political swing i guess as like a or probably pay off the cops it is the only way for me to to well, take him down i don't did say that the original was quite critically well received wasn't it yeah like, M- empire magazine four out of five like um, yeah, because you almost cancelled your empire subscription. <laughs> you thought they didn't call Star Wars this piece of shit. <laughs> that is that is correct. Yes, um, but yeah, I, I think you're probably exactly right in the sense that that seems like maybe a holdover from the original film. Because to me, you know, with my knowledge of Hong Kong cinema and stuff like that, that ending aligns far more with the ethos of kind of Hong Kong action films, which tend to be far darker. Uh, far more nihilistic uh, than their American counterparts and for this I presume they brought that across but like you say you need to build up to that and because Cage has little to no character in this movie we have no idea really why he would suddenly choose to go oh there's no way out I'm going to top myself it just doesn't quite fit and it doesn't fit with the kind of film they've made They've made a very, very low-rent actioner, and that kind of ending doesn't comply with the rules of that kind of film. You know, he's either got to get out and shoot his way out, or, you know, be saved somehow. And they did have an alternate ending. Oh, fuck. And in that, Kong, who is his sidekick, does save him from the police. Uh, Joe kills the bad guy. And they help him rehabilitate, and then he flees the country. So he gets a happy ending, and the alternate ending. I think it was shot, I think it's on the DVD. Um, and, you know, that that would fit far more with this type of film, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, well, it's like a, it's kind of a weird <laughs> comparison, but reminds me of. Have you seen Get Out? That has like almost like a very similar like ending scenario with the cops turning up, or yes. what you see, and that also has an alternative it ending and gives you. Yeah. And like, I think this film would have benefited from having that, as they've like Hollywood like really up the wazoo. They've made this a Hollywood picture. Should have gone with the happy ending because yeah, that yeah, is yeah, that is so much more in line with what, like, like the general public would want, like, especially, like, a Western audience and stuff like that. Like, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit with this film, I, like, because it's it, just... It's yeah. been seen throughout Hollywood, like, and, like, through time, that a lot of, like, uh, Asian cinema endings and, like, films do not translate well into English. Mm. A prime example would be Old Boy, the... Um, yeah. Fantastic film, but then directed by I think it was Spike Lee. Uh, the of, remake, yeah, 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 yeah. The remake directed by Spike Lee, and that film for anyone like I'm not going to spoil the ending, but like by for anyone, it's just a very hard to stomach ending, and has just such like punch in the original. Whereas like the the remake is like still that same ending but just really falls flat and it's just like oh do they keep the same ending they keep the same ending yeah 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 yeah. they keep and just like the whole it doesn't fit yeah yeah yeah. making the film this time around and like uh, maybe it is something as like a someone like living in the western world that like I don't know there's something exotic about like people who don't like do you know what I mean like look the same and like it's all I don't know I don't know how to say it without sounding insensitive but like it's it's almost removed and it's in a different language that is probably first and foremost it's a different sensibility yeah 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 and, and yeah exactly like you know I think they have just got a you know a completely different sensibility to their kind of films and you know yet yeah, like you say the, the tone of them and the nihilism of them and stuff like that and you know it it's all very well that they could have kept that ending, but they would have had to have built up to it in a similar way as they did in the original for it to be able to work. Because here it just seems odd. Nothing about this film makes you think, oh, we're going to have a shock ending where he blows yeah. himself away. You know, it, it, it seems bizarre. What other action film of this nature can you point to where the ending is the lead hero committing suicide? Um, None. <laughs> None. Exactly. No. Like, you know, or if you drift through all the Arnie films, all the Stallone movies, those kind of films, like that is not an ending you can see any of them signing off on. It seems bizarre. And it doesn't even seem in like some kind of heroic fashion. Do you know what no, I mean? Like, not at all. Not at it's all. not like some kind of like if you like that's what I mean. If you were to see that in like say like an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, it would be in some kind of like I don't know like to save. To save the fucking world, do you know what I mean? I've got to, yeah. I've got to fly this ship into a asteroid bigger than fucking like Glasgow. I mean, you could Glasgow. say that maybe he's protecting Kong to be like you know because we've got to get rid of this bad guy because otherwise he'll come after us. But at this point, I mean, he's killed every single person who works for him. But nobody you know, cares because like, the know. like you don't care about those people no, oh, and no, the stakes are so you don't low. Care about anyone. Don't care about anyone. 
That's what I mean. Like, I don't care because the stakes are so low. If it was a thing of like he has committed that uh, suicide to help like the whole of Bangkok. Do you know what I mean? Bangkok will go up in flames if he doesn't do that. But he doesn't. He just goes right. I'm going to help this. Maybe I'm going to help this one guy. It's not like again. Nothing's really explained. There isn't. This has got the depth of a fucking puddle. This uh, yeah, film. No, you're exactly right. Um. So yeah, I don't, I don't think we like this film really. No, uh, but like as I always do, I like to I like to see if I'm vindicated by the internet. Right. Uh, how did this score? And I always go for I just Google a film and find out what scores it provides me. Right. And it could be two, it could be three. This week we have two scores, and they're from two trusty sources of IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb. This is a 5.4 out of I mean, 10. That's insane, isn't it? 5.4. I mean, if anything goes to show that the IMDb cannot be fucking trusted when it comes to film scores, because there's a bunch of idiots <laughs> going on there, is this movie. Because 5.4 for this film is insane. I mean, that's... That's more than halfway to a ten. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, that's fifty. That's over fifty percent of people. Over fifty percent. Like, oh god. Um, and rotten tomatoes. Eight percent. Eight percent. See that? that I get that. Even that would say slightly generous. <laughs> to be completely honest, um, you know, because if, if this was on a star rating basis, I'm not. I couldn't even go one star. It'd have to be half a star. Also, you know what I mean? Like, just fuck all. One of the like Google often gives me like um, like Roger Ebert scores, and oh, yeah. I I I like to hope he did not watch this film because, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! Like it is. Oh. Is Ebert dead yet? He is, he is now. This is what killed him. <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly, yeah, yeah. I like... Just died with despair. Not, not to speak ill, but like, I'm, I'm kind of hoping he died before this film came out, because this, <laughs> this could have been, this could have been the, the final nail in the coffin. It could have been. Like, um, oh. yeah. I, do you think this is the worst film you've done for the podcast so far? Um, I think it possibly could be. Because it's, there's nothing like there's nothing fun about, and it's it like no, it's not. I it's feel not. I feel almost insulted, especially like knowing like that Cage had it within his power to possibly like kind of scrape all this shit together and try and like get something good out of it. It's not a good bad movie. There's yeah. nothing to enjoy about it. It's not Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is one of the most enjoyable bad films ever made. You can watch that and have a joyous time because it's so much fun. It, 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 lots of awful elements about it, but it's so much fun to watch. You will be laughing your socks off. But this is just horribly boring. Well, yeah, I think like one of the things that it, like you say about that, like it's not like quotable. Like he, like the way he looks reminded me of like Tommy Wiseau from The Room, and I just thought like that film is so bad. It's good because you like it's quotable yes. and it's like what the fuck is going on? Whereas this is just like I know you can do. That's the thing. It's like, I know he can do better. I know more could have been done with this story. Well, he, could do, uh, he could even do better bad movies because Cage is someone who we know when um, he does Crazy Cage that even if it's bad, that can be quite entertaining. This isn't Crazy Cage. This is 
boring. Yeah, this is on par with, um, I think this is a perfect, you know, you get those like double DVD box sets a lot of the time, like bargain bins. This and uh, Next should be in one of those and put into a spaceship fired (laughs) at the fucking sun because they are both bland, boring cage. And it's like, I would rather, I would rather balls to the wall fucking crazy or like really giving it some his most like acting chops. Do you know what I mean? Really like yeah. hamming it up. But we get none of that. Or no. we we literally get like he's not even there. He's not even there. It's not even phoned in. I mean, it's a fucking answer phone message. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's Morse code. Like it's just so hey, fucking bad. The two moments I can think of which made me laugh, um, in a sense of. Nothing. The film wasn't trying to make me laugh this moment, but I found the funny was when he's on the date with the deaf mute girl, and the moment he looks happiest is where there's a point where she serves him some of the food, <laughs> and he looks so happy at that moment. He's just like, and that totally adds in to your idea of him being someone looking for a Thai bride because it's like that's the moment he went, oh, she's serving me. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this is what I like. You know, the, the horrible white man who's gone over there to be like, yeah, serve me, baby. Like, I think, like that moment and the moment when it, there's a bit when they're in the gondolas and the, suddenly the chase begins and he turns around to the boat who's rowing the boat. There's no engine on the boat. <laughs> He's rowing it. The other, the other one's got an engine that goes off like speedboat. But he turns around to him and he shouts... Get us out of here! I'm like, it's fucking motorboat, man. Like, don't warn about, like, you're, in, you're not gone in 60 seconds now. Like, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. I love that that scene as well had, like, the classic, like, they bump into another boat and just, like, guys just like, hey, what you doing here? Like, like the Thai equivalent of, like, it's just like, oh, my Lord. Hey, I'm rolling here. Yeah, yeah. I'm rolling here. Well... Before I let you go, Liam, is there um, any last words you want to say about this film? Uh, well, Would you recommend it? No, <laughs> no I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. So, I mean, there's literally no reason I could possibly recommend this. Not as a curio, not as an enjoyably bad movie, not as a good movie. There is nothing to recommend. Not even if you were, if you'd say, oh, I'm a big fan of Nicolas Cage films, I wouldn't point you towards this film. Even then. Because I don't think it represents, you know, what even a fan of Nicolas Cage would be after. I think it would be hard-pressed to find people who are. And if you are a fan of this film, please, please let me know. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> right, easy to do. Right in. Yeah, at Caged In, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Caged In Pod uh, at gmail.com. And I will send you an email back. Uh, with um, the online equivalent of Amphrax, or like your your computer will then blow up uh, in a Mission Impossible style uh, explosion. Well, it's been fantastic having you here today, Liam, to suffer along with me. Is there anything else you would like to shout out to the guys? Yeah, if I could, man. As I said earlier on, um, I do a podcast of my own called Spotlight um, about Star Trek. Uh, by all means, come and check us out. If you are a big Star Trek fan, we've interviewed Robert Salin, the producer of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, probably the most famous Star Trek film ever. Um, 
for people who aren't fans of Star Trek, we've also interviewed Richard Donner, uh, the director of The Goonies, Lethal Weapon, The Omen, Superman, Scrooge. Um, so, you know, there's something for everyone, is what I'm saying. Come on over. Also, I should give a shout out um, to my fiance's new podcast, Bygones. Uh, it is right now the only Ali McBeal podcast out there. So if you're wanting an Ali McBeal podcast in your life, uh, presented by two uh, sisters, viewing it from 2018 lens, because obviously it was out in the 90s and now has dated somewhat, definitely give that a listen. They break down episode by episode. And even if you haven't seen Ali McBeal, of course, they do an amazing job of breaking down each episode scene by scene so you can understand what's going on without ever just describing what's happening on screen. They actually always make it really enjoyable, interesting and funny. So I'm I'm a big fan. I might be a bit biased. But... <laughs> well, I, 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 you've sold me on it, so I definitely will be checking out Biogons. It might just be an excuse for me to watch Ali McBill. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to lie about that. Uh, I think the only reason I never watched Ali McBill when I was younger is because it had... Um, the guy who was in Ghostbusters 2. Peter McNeil. Peter, who scared the living shit out of me. And it is only in the last few years I've kind of like disassociated him from the uh, museum clerk in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, can, I can see, I can see. Well, it's the way you found him scary and not the, the painting dude, the actual villain. It was him, it was the, the exact moment where he turns up to Dana's apartment and then walks down the hallway with his eyes lit uh, up. Yes, yeah, 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 I remember that moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's very good in Animal Bill. Um, well, I'm sold. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be checking CEX to see if they have uh, the complete box set or if not, I will be looking online uh, somewhere that isn't a um, corporate tax dodging motherfucker <laughs> uh <laughs> so yeah, i mean you can probably i think you can probably find the ali mcbill box set for pretty cheap now amazing uh, so there's an easy way in um but yeah no definitely check both those out and yeah it's been a pleasure to be here as always i have been petrus pat syllabus i've been liam h Dempsey. we've been caged in you've hopefully not suffered along with us and watched this piece of shit but if you have My hat goes off to you. You've been rad. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery Main, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.